Hello, and welcome to the YTVM Science News Podcast, where we discuss the most recent science news from across the Yale community. I'm Samantha, first-year MPH student in the Department of Health Policy. And I am Mara, a second-year microbiology PhD student. I hope you guys are getting ready for the Christmas break, because we definitely are, and I think we're going to be gone until beginning of January. In the meantime, we're going to update you on the most recent news from Yale Science. Perfect. So, Mara, what are you starting us off with today? Well, my first article is from the laboratories of Sajid Han and Carolyn Johnson from Yale School of Medicine and Yale School of Public Health, respectively. And both of them decided to look into a problem of rubber chemicals and how they impact the human body in terms of cancer development. And so, what exactly are PFAS? You, you said it right. So PFAS are a very, very large group of chemicals that are man-made, and they're usually used in stuff like nasty cookware, waterproof clothing, jet engines all of a sudden. It's, it's one of those things that um, I think I was reading about it first and I was thinking, wow, so this chemical that goes into a jet engine also gets in contact with my food. That's wonderful. Um, things that they're very useful for their waterproof qualities because they repel water, they repel oil. They're very, very useful in a lot of different things. However, that's also the same characteristics that makes them super persistent and very, very hard to read off. And pretty much they don't get degraded and they stay in the environment and also in our bodies. They're very polluting and production of PFAS is even banned in some states and in some European countries as well. They're also linked to some serious health conditions, like cancer. Um, And for example, some common PFAS, such as pyrofluoroctanoic acid, and another one that I cannot pronounce, are proven concerns. So those are, as already noticed, and as you probably know from popular media, pretty bad for your health. So what did the researchers focus on? Well... They were focusing on a specific type of cancer called colorectal carcinoma. They noticed that people who are exposed to PFAS more than general population, such as firefighters, because PFAS are actually present in a lot of chemicals they use, they get this type of cancer more than general population. And specifically, instead of thinking about cancer in terms of how cancer emerges, so specific mutations in cells, um, they actually looked at how it spreads. Because for cancer to establish itself in organism, the tumor needs to grow and eventually metastasize. That's what makes it untoppable. So what they did is they took two types of cell lines of carcinoma. Well, one of them had a specific mutation that is popular in this kind of tumor. Um, another one didn't. And this cell type is called spheroid, which is practically... It's practically a sphere of cells, and it resembles tumors more precisely because it creates a microenvironment. What they did then is they used two popular PFAS, and they pretty much based those carcinomas in the PFASs, and then they measured different things about them. They measured how they grow, they measured their motility, and how they expand in the media. And then they also dove into what are the processes behind it, what kind of um, metabolomic structure they form, what kind of pathways 
are going on, how our chemicals change with each other. And they were really just trying to figure out what is going on. And eventually they found that indeed the colorectal carcinoma cell lines that were exposed to PFAS were more motile. And while that does not directly translate into the idea that they will form more metastasis in, in a human being, it does point us into the direction that exposure to PFAS makes carcinomas more dangerous in a patient. That's so interesting. What are the implications of this? The implications can be really practical in the long run. Um, I would start by saying that a lot of countries have already made progress in reducing the amount of PFAS we produce and trying to fund more initiatives that would figure out how we get rid of them after we produce so much and now we find them everywhere in water, in newborn babies, in pretty much everywhere. We can't get rid of them. So studies like this are really important to highlight the importance of research that goes into um, environmental safety at this point. Um, and I also really like that this research was conducted in collaboration between environmental health scientists and medical professionals because um, Dr. Zajit Han is actually from Division of Surgical Oncology. And on a more practical note, it can help us figure out why PFAS are cancerogenic and how we can stop this kind of cancer and either prevent it from happening or prevent it for, from becoming more dangerous from metastasizing and improve the life of the patients. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And it's crazy to think that they're just so prevalent uh, everywhere in our lives across different domains. So I'm excited to see where that research goes. Yeah, yeah, let's see. <laughs> uh, United States has kind of been behind on this research, as I've been reading recently. Europe is really leading the torch here. But let's hope we can catch up. Okay, Sam, uh, what study are you sharing with us today? So today I'm sharing a study published in Nature Medicine that was led by the VA in Connecticut Healthcare and Yale researchers. And basically the study is analyzing a possible genetic reasoning behind problematic alcohol use, also called PAU, um, which is a combination of alcohol use disorder and alcohol-related problems, and which is the leading cause of death and morbidity worldwide. So how did they accomplish this research? Well, the researchers pulled from a sample of over a million individuals from European, African, Latin American, East Asian, and South Asian descent, and among which a huge sample came from the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs Million Veteran Program. And what they did with this sample is they performed a genome-wide association study of problematic alcohol use and then a cross-ancestry meta-analysis to investigate the shared genetic architectures of PAU as well as its causal variants. And what did they find? So through within ancestry or cross ancestry analyses, they found 110 variants linked to PAU, notably variants associated with regulation of pain, reward and addictive behaviors, um, smoking traits and externalizing behavior. They were also able to identify a number of genes 
who already have medications approved by the FDA for the regulation and could therefore be used to regulate those genes in relation to their effect on alcohol use disorder and, you know, as a result, problematic alcohol use. And this is important because beyond developing drugs to target these genes identified, this also means that there are repurposable drugs that we could potentially use to treat problematic alcohol use. No, this is great because the pathway that pharmaceutical companies have to take to get any drug approved, just in terms of safety, is is years and years. And if we already have something that is proven safe that we can use for other purposes, is that's great. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I. And I think that it's good that these are drugs that are already approved because, I mean, personally on my side, um, we talk a lot about um, different expedited approvals by the FDA and, you know, their pros and cons. And I personally am someone who leans towards um, being more cautious about approvals. And so it is definitely a huge relief to me seeing that these are drugs that have already been approved for safety and hopefully were not themselves expedited for their approval. Um, meaning that we can lean towards these drugs versus developing new ones that we might be inclined to um, approve prematurely. I totally agree. There are some historical horror stories related to expedited approval. Or just, you know, before those mechanisms were in place, there's a reason why everything is checked very thoroughly. (laughs) Let's just say that. Yeah, exactly. I... um... I learned in one of my courses, you know, you, you learn so much in these programs. And I was learning about how um, when drug approvals are not expedited, it's just years and years in the making through several phases of clinical trials. And that's such a huge relief coming from a background that, you know, we don't really, we're not really taught this stuff in regular school that drugs are taking so long to be approved. You just see them materialize in front of your eyes. And there's a huge sense of relief knowing that there's years of science behind and testing behind different drugs. But um, it does get scary when you hear that there are ones coming on the market without full clinical trials having been accomplished. Yeah, well, I didn't know about that in school. And that's why I wanted to go into biotech and, you know, make cool pharmaceutical drugs and, you know, earn money. And then I learned how much time and effort it takes and money. So I don't want to do that anymore. It's very sad. You don't want to wait 15 years to get your drug on the market? No, I don't. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm not a patient person. Okay, enough of talking about my golden dreams. Uh, Thank you guys for staying with us today. We only have those two articles because I think journal editors are also getting ready to go on a Christmas break and everything's been kind of slow this week and it's going to be kind of slow for the next two weeks as well. So no surprises there. But I do hope that you join us next year and that you have a fantastic Christmas break. Yeah, thank you so much for listening over this past semester. And we cannot wait for you to listen this coming semester. I hope you have a great holiday vacation. Bye.